This is episode number 69 with Olympic swimmer Ashley Twitchell. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. My name is Ryan McGuire, your host. Each week I bring you a guest or a message that will help you along your own pursuit of happiness as well as following me along my own. This was such a cool episode for me. I've wanted to talk to an Olympian for so long, since way before I even started this podcast, and I finally had that opportunity. Thank you to Ashley Twitchell, who is an open water Olympic swimmer for Team USA. I've always wanted to go behind the curtain when it comes to the Olympics and the athletes to see how they prepare, both physically and mentally, and in this conversation, we get to go over all of that and so much more. I really wanted to dive into her journey into being an Olympian, when it started, all the details along the way, and how she prepared for the day that it finally happened. Did you ever wonder what an Olympian eats? Did you ever wonder what they do to prepare their bodies for this event? And have you ever wondered how they prepare themselves mentally for so much pressure with everybody watching and working their whole lives for just this one event? For someone like myself that's into health and fitness, this was such a dream come true. To being able to talk to somebody who is the elite of the elite in the entire world at what they do. It was truly a pleasure and an honor to have Ashley on my podcast. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining me. And I cannot wait for everybody to listen and get some insight on what it takes to become an Olympian. Perhaps becoming an Olympian isn't a journey for everybody, but her journey is for everyone to listen to, to inspire and to motivate you and to push yourself beyond your expectations. With all that said, I'm about ready to listen to this again, and I cannot wait for you to hear this. So without further ado, here is American Olympian, Ashley Twitchell. Hey, Ashley. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Is my audio okay? You sound great. Nice to meet you. Virtually. Nice to meet you too. Is you, you, uh, Oh, nice. I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a Duke fan. <laughs> nice. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Been a Duke fan since Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. <laughs> awesome. Long, nice. Long time I feel like ago. you either, people either hate them or they love them. So. Yeah. You know, growing up in upstate New York, like you, were you a Syracuse fan? Yeah. Yeah. Considering how you were probably what, like 20 minutes away from campus or so. Yep, like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in upstate New York, it was like either Syracuse, Duke, or UNC. Those were like the three mm-hmm. teams that were on TV. Maybe a little bit of UConn, but that's about it. But um, yep. No, yeah. it's um really, really funny to find out that you grew up probably uh, 45 minutes to an hour. I know, small time. world. What the what in the world? When did you end up down here? Um, so when I went to Duke and then I, after I graduated, I moved out to California for a few years and trained out there and then ended up moving back here in 2013. And then, um, my family kind of followed my dad still splits time. He's still working up there, but everyone was just kind of over the, the winters. Yeah, I am. My whole family is still up there. I was just there about a month ago and I'll Mm -hmm. never forget. I took my dogs out back to take them outside and it was negative 12 and I'm just like, this is why, this is why I left. This is, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. it was terrible. Like when you're yeah. 
just blowing your breath and basically almost like crystallizing it immediately. It's like, ah, yeah. Yeah. And I used to, we used to walk to school and I, I'll like, I'll tell my husband now, like when it's 20 here and it's so cold, I'm like, I used to walk to school and it was like negative 10. Oh yeah. And I I went to uh, Buffalo. I chose to go to Buffalo. (laughs) So that was my fault. But yeah, there was times that that can be brutal. The windshield was like negative 30 at occasion. You just feel all the hairs in your nose, just like Mm. freeze. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. So it's nice being down here. The, The humidity in the summers gets to me, but I'll take it. Yeah, that's the that's the downfall is the humidity. I don't mm-hmm. I don't do well with ninety five plus, but uh, yeah, it's February now and it was seventy degrees today, and uh, it's funny we basically went from being neighbors to being neighbors again. Where are you located right now? We're in Apex, so we're like yeah. a mile from downtown Apex. Perfect. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. My fiance's parents live in Apex, so you're probably about fifteen to twenty minutes away from me. So nice, funny, small world. <laughs> Apex is a, Apex is a great place. It's a good place to yeah, we like it a lot. It's a good place to have a family, and uh, congratulations mm-hmm. on that. I'm Thank expecting. you. That yeah, we're excited. When's the due date? Very excited. May nineteenth. So getting close all of a sudden. Ooh, like twenty eight weeks. It's yeah. Coming. Wow. Yep. Are you ready? It's getting real. <laughs> yeah, we're ready. I mean, there's still some like necessity things we need to do, but we're excited. Yeah, that's super cool. That's a, it's a big yeah. life moment. Um, it's my fiance's sister just became a mom. And so she just became an aunt and I'm soon to become an uncle. So exciting. Um, it's exciting. That's for me. fun. Being an aunt or uncle is fun because you get to like spoil them and then you can kind of leave them. <laughs> oh, exactly. I love the way you say aunt, by the way, because that's exactly how I say it too. <laughs> oh, instead of aunt. Aunt or aunt. I'm an aunt. It's yeah. the upstate New York, the A's and the O's are a little different. Yep. So I'm glad that uh, we're on the same wave like this, <laughs> yep. this podcast. I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. now too, does your dad ever bring down dinosaur barbecue for you? He, my sister, like every time he, well, now it's sold in store. The sauce is sold in stores here, but before it was, he would have to bring it down like every time he came. It was the best. For sure. Yeah. But now that there's Wegmans here, you can get it anywhere. Oh, so that I was going to ask you, how pumped were you that Wegmans opened up down here a couple years ago? We were definitely excited. Um, great. Yeah. And I brought my husband to the one in like West Cary and he had been to the one um, up in New York when he had visited, but that one in West Cary is like, it's amazing. I mean, they have everything you could ever imagine. He was like, I kind of see what all the hype is about now. It's a wonderful place. Where's your husband from? He's from here. He's from Garner. So okay. he's lived here his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably thought Harris Teeter was, yeah. was the bomb. And he's just yeah. like, yeah, this exactly. <laughs> Get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am very, very appreciative of you joining me on this on this episode. To have an Olympian on my podcast, it just feels really cool to be able to say I'm talking to an Olympian to be an Olympian. Has that worn off yet? Are you used to saying that yet? Or is it like you still riding the high? Um, I, I feel like it's still kind of surreal. I mean, it was definitely a really long journey for me to get to this point. I, I really narrowly missed making the Olympics first in 2012 and then finally made the first, my first Olympic team in 2019. So it was seven years of working towards that. And so I feel like that really has helped me appreciate it even more because I realized the, the extremely hard work and dedication it takes. And, and honestly, a little bit of luck too. like things have to go your way. And um, it's not all dependent on you. It's how other people are racing as well. And so 
um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really special. It definitely still feels a little surreal to say that, or, um, to have people like ask, like, what was it like in the Olympics? And it's like, wow, like, even though they were a different Olympics, I, I did get to go to the Olympics and experience all that. So it's been, it's been really cool. Yeah. We'll talk about how the Olympics were a little different. I'm really curious about that, but I think the, the meat of this podcast will be your road of getting to the Olympics. I am genuinely mm-hmm. curious to know what goes on behind the scenes, physically, mentally, and everything and the road to become an Olympian. That's I've, I've always wanted to know this and just sit down and talk to you. I couldn't be any more excited than I am right now. Um, so let's start with that. So being an, an Olympic swimmer, at what point were you like, yeah, swimming, swimming is my jam. I'm, I'm loving this. Yes. I mean, I always love swimming, like from when, before I can remember, I'm the youngest of four kids and they all swam. Um, and so I just kind of followed in their footsteps. And initially my parents just wanted us to be as water safe as possible at as young of an age as possible. And so that was really the the main motivation behind all of us being in the water so young. And I could swim before I could walk. And from, from before I can remember, I just have always loved being in the pool. And, um, but my parents also encouraged us doing a bunch of sports. So I played lacrosse, I um, played basketball, I played soccer, and then I did soccer and swimming until about seventh grade. And then at that point, I just kind of felt like I needed to choose one. And, and I loved soccer, but it was still a pretty easy decision for me. I just knew swimming was really where I felt the most at home. And um, I was the happiest. I loved pushing myself in the water, that kind of like endurance um, part of training. I absolutely love training. I love competing too, but training I, I really have always um, enjoyed. And But even then, like, it wasn't like, oh, I want to make the Olympics. I don't remember ever being a little kid and and thinking that um, even like watching the Olympics, you know, as a family growing up, I can't remember ever being like, oh, that's going to be me one day. I just, I just love the sport. I love getting better. I, I of course had goals, um, both short-term and long-term, but it was never really to, to become an Olympian. And, um, you know, once I got to to high school and started looking at different schools, I, I decided on Duke and had an absolutely amazing four years there. And, even then I never thought I would keep swimming after. Um, and I finished NCAA as my senior year, which was in March and just felt like I wasn't ready to be done. I felt like I still loved it. I felt like I still had more left to give. And I had been invited to an open water select camp with USA swimming that was going to be that May. And so I was like, well, I might as well swim, you know, I might as well attend that and then swim through the summer. So I took a huge leap of faith and moved out to California and, um, started training out there. My parents were really supportive, which was so appreciated. And at that camp, the, the culmination of that camp was um, an open water nationals. And we all had to, everyone at the camp had to do that. And I ended up placing third, which qualified me for my first world championships. And it kind of took off from there. And I really bounced back and forth between the pool and open water ever since then. Um, and then just a year later was that Olympic qualifier that I mentioned earlier that where I really narrowly missed. And that was the point I can distinctly remember. Um, It really took me narrowly missing the Olympic team to be like, okay, I really do want this and seeing how, how disappointed I was and how bad that hurt not making it. It really um, enlightened me to how badly I did want to become an Olympian. And and so that's really the the first time I can remember um, really thinking that that, that was what I wanted. I'm kind of surprised to hear that you know, being an Olympian really wasn't a goal till after college. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like most Olympians are probably around the age of like early twenties, mid twenties or so. And I have a stat here that I want to read this properly at age 32, 
you were the oldest American first-time Olympic swimmer since 1908. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. That's over a, a century. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like I said, I never really, I, I mean, I never even thought I would keep swimming until I was 32. Um, much less make my first Olympic team then. Um, and yeah, you're right. A lot of the Olympians, especially this year's team was, was really young. Um, a bunch of high schoolers, a bunch of, um, you know, females in, in the early years of college. Um, and it just ended up being the path I took. I've, I've always kind of really tried to take it day by day and and week by week. I, I think when I look too far ahead, it, it can overwhelm me. And so, especially like when I narrowly missed making the team in 2012, um, it wasn't necessarily like, okay, well I have to make the team in 2016. It was like, well, I'm going to swim one more year and some still worlds in 2013 and see how that goes. And I, that's how I kind of took my whole career was year by year. And, um, I always told myself if I was, you know, still improving. And of course I had my low points of my career where there are periods where I was plateaued or, or not doing as well, but, um, in general, still improving and, and still loving it, then I was going to keep doing it. And, um, that's kind of what it led to. I'm really interested in the whole training process. Um, I would love to know the difference between training in high school and then how it became even more intense in college. And then what training for the Olympics or, and, and, and the worlds was like after that, what are like the leaps that you would take as far as training goes? Let's start with high school. What did, what was training like for swimming in high school? Yeah. So for me, it was, it was definitely different than, um, a lot of my, my teammates, a lot of high schoolers are already doing doubles, um, you know, in the pool and dry land. And I came from a really small club team. Um, we trained five times a week, maybe six, if we did a Saturday, um, just in the evening. So no, I'd never done a double before I got to college. Um, we did a little bit of dry land, but it was like yoga. So I never lifted a weight before I went to college. Um, so to, I was probably doing about 25,000 to 30,000 yards a week in high school, which is definitely on the, the lower end. Um, and I honestly think that a big part of me being able to swim until I did was, was because of that. I both mentally and physically, I wasn't burnt out. I got to college and was like, I was excited about doing a double and I was excited about learning how to train in the weight room and, do cross training on the spin bike. And a lot of my teammates were already a little burnt out and they've been doing doubles for quite a while. And so, um, it was new and exciting to me and, and definitely a a big leap once I got to college, but I, I love that challenge and I totally embraced it. Did you love training and practice as much in, in high school? Because I was talking to someone the other day and in high school, all growing up, and I was a pitcher. I loved playing baseball. Love that was my life. I loved it. And I just I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, if I loved practice and I cared about practice and fitness and training as much as I just love to play the game, I would love to know where I would be today. I just didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know diet, fitness, and nutrition. I I didn't care about that as much as I do now. Did you? have you said you love training did you love it in high school as well I did I don't think to the same degree that I did in college and post-grad um I don't think I necessarily challenged myself as much I feel like I it was more about you know having fun and and like I said I came from a small club team and um and we were good and you know the coaches were great um I do sometimes wonder if I had done more yardage or you know if I had applied myself a little bit more could I 
you know, have what I have been faster coming out of high school. But like I said, I, I don't regret any of that. I think it was the perfect path for me, but, um, I did, I did enjoy training and I would say, um, in general, I enjoyed it more than most of my teammates. I, I never, like, it was never a chore for me. I never dreaded going. Um, but I don't think I challenged myself as much as I did in, in college or post-grad. Now you said going to Duke, you still had a love for it and you still had an excitement for it. What was eye-opening or was there anything shocking from going from a high school to a college like Duke and the training and the practicing there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, so like I said, I was probably swimming 25,000 to 30,000 um, yards a week in in high school and probably jumped to um, maybe 60,000 in, in uh, college. So, so definitely quite a jump. Like I said, we started doing doubles, um, weight training I thought was, was really cool. And that definitely had to be adjusted as we went. Um, I've never done well, like lifting super heavy. And so after my freshman year, we started doing a lot more body weight stuff, which was really helpful to me. Um, but I just, the team was amazing. The coaches were amazing. Um, just being at Duke and, and being with all those student athletes and, um, it's a, it's a pretty small school in, in terms of, um, colleges in general. And so the, the athletic community is, is really, is really close. I, re- I roomed with the, um, lacrosse player my first two years, which was awesome. So I got to know the lacrosse team and was really good friends with them. And, um, you know, going to, I only went to one basketball game because the tickets are so hard to get to, but, but just <laughs> embracing all of that. Yeah. Embracing all of that was, was so fun. And, um, I also love like the academics and the school part. So again, it was just, it was a new challenge and and I love that. And, um, I couldn't, you know, have been happier being there. I was a little bit nervous going to school so far away. I'm definitely a little bit of a homebody and I of course had a little bit of homesickness, but I knew right away that it was, it was definitely the right decision for me. Now with you being an open water swimmer, were these 60,000 yards in a pool or were they open water or a mix? So it was all in the pool. Um, I didn't really start open water or I didn't start open water at all until, um, after college. And even then 99% of my training has always been in the pool. So really the only time I'll do open water training is, um, right in the lead up to an open water competition. So we'll get out on the course and be able to kind of see the course, but, um, yeah, 99% of my training has always been in the pool. Correct me if I'm wrong, but open water training seems quite a bit more difficult because of the elements. Would that be true? Yeah, it's, it's it that for sure. And also for me, I just, I like having like a, a defined workout and, you know, having like your yardage and the times you're going, and that's definitely harder to kind of replicate in open water. Um, and then just, yeah, the logistics of, of being out there and, and knowing how much yardage you're doing. Um, it's definitely a bit easier to get that done in the pool. Now I want to go behind the scenes a little bit more. So you said you started to lift weights. How does someone who is a distance swimmer lift weights? What's your like repetitions? What's, what's your weight lifting schedule? Like, so, um, so for me, what I really learned, like what really worked for me and, and what I've kind of was doing the past few years of my career, I was working with a, a strength conditioning coach who is based out of, um, Colorado. So, um, really since 2013, or 2012, I guess, um, I would spend anywhere from eight to 16 weeks out in Colorado at the Olympic training, Olympic and Paralympic training center out there in the Springs at altitude. And so in 20, I think it was 2017, I started working with, um, a weight coach out there. And so I'd work with her when I was out there. And then when I was, 
either in California or North Carolina, she would send me my workouts. Um, and for me, that looked like three workouts a week of dry land. And it was a combination each day was, um, upper body, lower body and core. And it was some weights, but, but nothing crazy heavy for me. I found that if I tried to go heavy in the weight room, it would just, um, kind of diminish what I could do in training in the pool and, and kind of take away from that. So everything we did really just worked to enhance what I was doing in the pool. Um, a lot of balance stuff, a lot of core stuff, a lot of body weight. Um, and that, that worked really, really well for me. And it also helped keep, keep me healthy. Um, I've struggled with a shoulder issue. Um, I had surgery in 2014, but since then I've gotten countless cortisone injections, but, but being vigilant about, um, my dry land definitely helped keep my shoulder healthy as well. There's a few areas I want to go dive deeper into that. I'm curious to know what was your most like impactful exercise or something that you introduced to your routine to increase your speed? Um, I would say core work, honestly, I feel like that. Um, and, and, you know, I would have a section of my workout that was focused just on core, but I also feel like all the upper body stuff we did, all the lower body stuff that also, um, would inherently work on core. And I think, or I know that that's so important and it translates so much into the water. So much of what you're doing is coming from your core. Um, and so I think that that really helped for sure. I know. I want to know about your shoulder surgery. Cause you know, like I said, growing up a pitcher, my shoulder is jacked up. I probably need surgery. I'm 99% certain. I just haven't done it. What happened to your shoulder? What kind of surgery did you have? So, um, I've struggled with my shoulder since like, I remember doing PT back in like seventh grade, um, bad shoulders running my family, my dad and uncle have had surgeries. My brother has had a bad shoulder. Um, and so it's always kind of bothered me. Um, it didn't really get bad until the end of college, but it was still very manageable. Um, and then I moved, out, I moved out to California and started doing even more yardage. Um, so there were weeks out there where I was up to um, the, the biggest volume training we've ever did was a hundred thousand meters. So that's the equivalent of like, I think it's like 66 miles um, in the water. Oh my God. So um, it just, I mean, and it wasn't, just due to that, it was years and years of, of kind of, um, pounding on my shoulder. But, um, by the time 2014 rolled around, I just, I knew I needed to do something. It wasn't sustainable anymore. I had tried like a eight week break out of the water. I'd done all the PT, I'd done everything. And so kind of the only option left was a shoulder surgery. And so I had the surgery in July of 2014 and the way open water qualifications work for the Olympics, the first round of qualifications is the year prior. So our trials were in, um, April of 2015. So I basically had whatever that is, I guess, 10 months from surgery to trials. And so, uh, my surgeon, I got my surgery done at Duke and he was great. He understood that I needed surgery, but I also needed to get back into the water. And so he went in with the mindset that he would do everything he could to, help things, but that would also allow me to get back into the water, um, in a reasonable amount of time. So he basically just scoped it, cleaned it all out of all the bursa. Um, I remember him telling me that like a thimble full of bursa can reduce your mobility and your strength by X amount, whatever it was. And he removed like a shot glass full of, of bursa from my shoulder. So I just remember coming out of surgery and, and once, you know, at 
I was out of, you know, the anesthesia, just having so much relief from not being in pain. I hadn't felt like that in so long. Um, and so the surgery was great for a, a, for a couple of years, a few years, and then, um, just kind of the wear and tear continued and, um, really starting in like 2017, I, I had to get, um, cortisone injections probably every three to four months. Um, so that was also a huge struggle, both mentally and physically for, for the, you know, last four years of my career. What was your recovery like after the surgery? So I was out of the water for, I think it was like seven weeks, completely out of the water. Um, I was able to get back onto a spin bike. I think like two weeks after, of course, like very like straight up and just like moving my legs, um, started rehab shortly after that. I did all my rehab at Duke too, which was awesome. And, um, I worked with a, a great guy who, who it wasn't just like shoulder physical therapy. He really incorporated strength into it. And so, um, he was amazing. And I think I got back into the water after about seven weeks, but it was, it was really slow going. And that was really hard for me mentally, especially with trials coming up. I, I would find myself kind of mean like, well, I know my competitors are doing X, Y, and Z. And here I am like barely swimming for 30 minutes. Um, and so, like I said, I got my surgery in, in July, I was back in the water in September and it really wasn't until the end of January. I can remember I was out in California on a training trip and had a, a training set that I felt like, okay, like that was what I was like prior. Like I was finally back to myself. And so, um, it was, it was tough. It was tough mentally, but I really just tried to take it again day by day and, and work on little things. And, um, as best I could kind of had have tunnel vision and not worry about what, what anyone else was doing. I imagine it probably took a while too, to kind of trust your shoulder. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you see like these NFL players get ACL surgery and they're not the same for another year plus. Cause you know, they're afraid to make cuts or the quick movements. Uh, I can only imagine you got to use your shoulder just constantly in the pool. That, yeah. Know? Yeah. That was a huge part of it for me. Kind of, um, you know, you feel like you're walking a tightrope of like, you need, you know, you need to get back into shape, but you don't want to push in and, and then be out again. So, so that was difficult, but my coaches were great at, at kind of managing that and, and not letting me get ahead of myself and, and not pushing it too far. And, and, uh, you know, eventually I just had to learn to trust my shoulder. And even, you know, when it started to get bad again, and I had to get injections, I really just had to have trust in my body and, and really just listen to my body and take cues from it. And when I needed to to take it a step back or, you know, take a day out of the water. I learned, I finally learned to do that and, and know that that was better to do than, um, you know, kicking the ball down the road and then having to take two weeks out of the water later on. Mm -hmm. I really would love to go over some timelines here, not just your timeline, which I wanted to dig into a little more, but the timeline just to get ready for an Olympic games period. So what's it? 2024 is the next, is the next summer games, right? So mm -hmm. let's say I'm, I'm in the Olympics for 2024. Am I already like, what am I doing now to get ready for 2024? Is there any competitions that are happening right now that I need to start qualifying for what's happening now before the Olympics even start? Yeah. So for swimming, the big competitions are always, um, in the summer, this quad is going to look a lot different just because of, um, the Tokyo games being postponed. So typically um, we have a world championships in the odd years. So that would be 2021, 2023. And then we have something called Pan Pacific games and, and the even years that aren't Olympics. So, um, Australia, Japan, um, the Americas, 
um, have a competition. So um, that's typically like how the how the quad goes. And I would say typically like the the year after the Olympics, um, people are definitely training, and it, it looks a little bit different for everyone. But some people like to take a little bit of a longer break, um, both physically and mentally. Some people jump right back into it, but that year tends to be like a little more low key and then really starting, um, three, definitely two years out, people are really, um, you know, getting back into it and, and kind of full bore ahead. And, um, while four years can seem like a lot, it it definitely goes by, uh, pretty fast. Is this your full-time job when you're an Olympian or trying to be an Olympian? Is this, is this what you're all Mm -hmm. you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And like I said, when I decided to keep swimming, um, it, it wasn't really with the, the thought that I would become a professional swimmer. I, um, you know, I had made Olympic trial cuts and I was, I was going to go to Olympic trials in 2012. I graduated in 2011, but, um, I certainly wasn't like a a favorite to make an Olympic team. I definitely wasn't making money yet. So like I said, I'm super grateful. My parents supported me, not just emotionally, but financially, they supported me moving out there and, and supported me living while I was not making any money swimming. Um, but eventually I, um, got on stipend with the national team and also, um, had a few amazing sponsors. So, um, once that became, began, yeah, it was, it was my full-time job. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that for a minute. If you don't mind, as far as like making money, like how do Olympians make money? Do sponsors find you? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for, for different sports and, and different athletes for sure. Um, you know, the more well-known you are, those, those sponsors are definitely going to come, come looking for you. Um, the lesser known, you kind of have to have to go looking for them, but, um, it just depends on the person and, and finding the right companies. And, um, we have a, you know, USA swimming or, or swimming has a bunch of swimwear companies. The, the three biggest ones are speedo tier and arena. And, um, I was sponsored by tier for the last eight years of my career from 2013. And they were an amazing sponsor. And, um, even through like the, the not so good years, the years where I had a shoulder surgery or didn't make an international team, they were, um, so supportive and, and, um, not just as for like, not just of me as a swimmer, but as me as a person. And, and that was so helpful too, to have that, um, kind of like family behind me, no matter what. Um, so obviously it helped me a lot financially, but also just emotionally to have them. And then, um, yeah, being on the national team also provides you, benefits and depending on kind of where you fall in the national team, your, your world ranking and, and things like that, you get um, stipend and, and other benefits, health insurance, et cetera. And what sponsor did you say you had for eight years tier? I think you said tier T U I R. So what happened? So they kind of took notice in who you were and they said, Hey, Ashley, we would love to sponsor you. Is that how that works? Are you signed a contract? Yeah. I mean, there's some, some talk and some nego- negotiations, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, yeah, you have talks and, and you sign the contract and, um, you're providing them with, with something and they're providing you with something as well. You got to wear uh, the tier stuff all the time and you get mm-hmm. a bunch of free swag and cool suits and mm-hmm. everything. Do you get yeah. to like try anything on and, and I kind of give your input on what you're wearing? Yeah, actually, um, when tier was making, um, their new technical suit, which is called the, the Venzo, um, all of their sponsored athletes had a huge say in, in, um, in that. And we would, like at our photo shoots, uh, they would have, you know, their, their first, um, like models of the suit and we would try them on, give feedback. And so that was really cool to, to be a part of that and know that they wanted our feedback and that they were, um, really invested in, in making the best suit for swimmers. Um, and they had 
you know, swimmers who specialize in all different strokes and disciplines, um, trying it on and giving their feedback. So that was, that was really cool. What makes a suit, let's say better than a previous year or whatever, what are you looking for? So again, I think that's different for everyone. For some people love like a really tight compression. Um, some people like being able to move a little bit more. Um, some people like the core to be like really compressed. And so some people like the legs to be more compressed. And so each swimwear company has um, different models of suits. And, and so that kind of depends just on the, the individual swimmer. Um, for me, being a distance swimmer, especially for open water, comfort is, is really key for me. Um, and with having a bad shoulder, I just like the suit to be, to be comfortable on my shoulders. So that's definitely most important for me, but I know some swimmers who the most important thing is to, to feel really compressed and they want that suit as tight as possible. So, um, definitely individual preference. Okay. Okay. Now I know we've bounced around a little bit as far as timeline goes and everything. So correct me if I'm wrong, you graduated from Duke in 2011. That's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And yep. so in 2012, you said you narrowly missed making the Olympics. Take me back to that time. Like, so were you, were you racing to be in the, was that like a goal goal? Or was it like, after you said that I was so close, it really kind of became a goal afterwards. Yeah. So the open water qualification, like I said, it's a little funky. So the first round of qualification is the year prior to the game. So, um, that was in 2011 at world championships, which were in Shanghai, China. Um, I qualified for that world championships, but I qualified in the 5k. Um, the only Olympic open water distance is the 10 K. Um, so our first two females at our nationals in 2011 went on to swim the 10 K in Shanghai at world championships. And so obviously it's an international race and the top 10 finishers in that race at world championships qualify for the Olympics. Neither of our two Americans qualified in the top 10. So that left the spot for the Americans open. The only way you can have two from your country in the same gender qualify is if they both qualify that year prior. So because neither of them qualified, we only had one spot available for the Americans for the um, London Olympics. So at our nationals the following year in 2012, I've won our nationals and Haley Anderson placed second. And so they brought the two of us to the Olympic qualifier, which was in Portugal. And at that race, the top 15 make the Olympics. So you have 10 from the world championships the year prior, and then 15 from the Olympic qualifier. So the Olympic field is, is 25 women. Um, and so top 15 of that Olympic qualifier qualified for the games. And I placed fourth, but I was the second American. And we only had one spot left for Americans at that point. So Haley had won. Um, and so she qualified for the game. So that was, so yeah, the, the race was an Olympic qualifier. That's, that's all we were racing for. Um, and that's, I think it, you know, it was a, a couple seconds in a two hour race. That is so brutal. Like, honestly, take me into your mindset when that race is over, what are you thinking as soon as that race is done? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, so the, first of all, the water was freezing. It was, um, like 60 or 61 degrees. It was definitely the coldest race I'd ever done. Um, and me and Haley were really good friends and we, um, had trained together a bunch before we had been roommates at world. So that in and of itself was kind of tough going to a competition with your teammate and your friend, knowing that there are two of you and, and one of you are, is, you know, is going to make the Olympic team. Um, and we, with about 
probably 500 meters left to go of that, of that race. I remember seeing her pass me and I was just, I was down there. I didn't have anything left. Um, and I remember touching and, and definitely feeling, feeling disappointed. Um, I was excited for Haley, but I was, I was definitely disappointed. My parents were there, which I was really grateful for. So I was able to kind of spend the day with them. And, um, that was in May of 2012 and our pool trials were a month later. So after that race that, you know, I kind of gave myself a day or two to, to be upset and to be disappointed and then really tried to switch my mindset and get ready for, for those Olympic trials for the pool, which were just a month later. I want to really talk to you about mindset. That's a big topic for me in this episode. Um, so you said just a few days later, change your mindset. How did you change your mindset? What did you change? And I also want to know, as you really started to ramp up for future Olympic games, like what sacrifices did you make along the way as well? Uh, I know that was a lot to intake, so take your time with that. Yeah, um, I think the the biggest thing that I learned in my career, I think, um, like I said, I, I took a couple of days to be upset about that Portugal race, but I think looking back on it now, I'm able to see that I maybe didn't take all the time I needed to, to kind of, um, reflect on that race and, and kind of feel my feelings and, and kind of more not making the Olympic team. And I think, um, I had a really difficult 2013 and 2014. I, I didn't make an international team either of those years. And I think, um, a lot of that was because I had never really dealt with, um, the disappointment of, of not making it in 2012. And, um, you know, and I think I dealt with it a lot better when I, when I missed making it in open water in 2015 and then pool in 2016. Um, and then I, you know, towards the end of my career, I think I was able to do a really good job of, um, having the mindset of, of being able to do whatever I could do and whatever was in my control. And especially leading up to the, the 2019 world championships, which again was the first Olympic qualifier. Um, I remember being out in Colorado, um, training before our nationals in 2019. So our nationals would qualify us for world or to qualify us for the Olympics, kind of a three-step process. And, uh, I was at an altitude camp right leading into nationals and, I remember kind of being in my dorm room at the Olympic training center and, and thinking like, what if I either don't qualify at nationals to make worlds or don't qualify at worlds to make the Olympics. And it's another, you know, opportunity I missed. And I've put off kind of, you know, the rest of my life for, for nothing. And I was able to switch my mindset and, and tell myself, you know, I've, I've done everything I can. And even if I do miss, like, that's still something to be so proud of. And that's kind of the mindset I went into both nationals and, and world championships with. And I think that played a huge part in me being confident enough to, to swim the races the way I knew I could. And, um, know that even if the outcome wasn't what I wanted, because some of that is out of your control, especially in open water, um, that of course I'd be disappointed, but I'd also still be really, really proud of myself. And I think that that took a lot of pressure off me in a lot of ways. How did you switch your mindset like that? Um, is that just because you were a psych major at Duke or mm -hmm. is it because you worked with a coach? How did that work? I think a lot of it was vocalizing it. I think, um, it, you know, when you let all that swirl around in your head and, and not really get out, it can, um, kind of become bigger and bigger in your own head. And so, um, uh, being able to talk to, you know, mainly for me, it was, you know, family and coaches, um, my husband, I think that was, that was crucial. I also, um, 
I took a couple of classes at Duke with a sports psychologist there, Greg Dale, and um, they were some of my favorite classes and, and he was gracious enough to work with me after I graduated too. And so um, I would really just meet up with him every once in a while, but he was always really, really helpful and, and kind of just talking through it with me and, and reminding me what I already knew, which was that um, I had given everything I had and, and I, some things are out of your control and, and I had a lot to be proud of no matter what. And, and just hearing that and kind of having that validated from someone else was, was really important for me. Now in 2017, you were a world champion in the 5k one. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> like that is, that is baller and no one can ever take that. from you. <laughs> that is so cool. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to know like a week before the race, what are you thinking? Obviously this is a really big deal. What's going on in your head? Are you calming yourself down? Are you nervous? Is there butterflies? How are you feeling? Yeah. So, um, talking about mindset, I think that was one of, um, the competitions I'm most proud of. So at that competition, I was swimming the 10 K and the five K and, um, you know, after, after having missed the 2016 Olympic team, I was really determined to kind of prove myself in that 10 K at that world championships that next year. And, you know, I was going to be racing against all those girls who had just been at the Olympics and, and really wanted to show that I deserve to be there and, and do well. And, um, the 10 K was, um, my first event and I dove in for the race. And from the very first stroke, I just felt awful. And I felt like I was, um, basically sprinting the whole thing. I ended up placing 10th and, um, really wasn't happy with the result. And not only did I not place as well as I wanted to, but it hurt really, really badly. And I had the 5k two days later. And so, um, I, you know, I remember calling my coach and, and kind of talking through the race with him. And, um, I kind of just had to, to put it out of my head and, and take the things that, that didn't work well in that race and, and try to improve upon them in the 5k and, um, really kind of forget that the 10k had even happened. And I think it was literally less than 72 hours later that I, um, dove in for the 5k and just felt like a totally different swimmer and ended up winning the race. And so, you know, especially when like younger swimmers ask you about mindset or if they're at a competition and their first race doesn't go well, it's so easy to think like, okay, well now I'm going to, you know, toss the towel in for the rest of the meet or, you know, my taper is off. There's no point in trying. And I think that competition was a really good example for me of, um, you can have a bad race and it, it, it's not the end of the world and you can definitely turn things around. So, um, I felt really good that 5k, it was a, it was a close race. And I remember with about, um, 500 meters to go, I kind of made a move and pulled ahead. And that last 500 meters was really painful. And they had these like big board, these big screens up, um, that were kind of broadcasting the race. And so, and I could see them as I was breathing and I was kind of watching like how far behind me the other girls were and was just trying to do everything I could to get to the finish pad. But, um, that was an, an amazing feeling, you know, not just winning it, but, um, winning at world championships and having that USA, you know, cap on is, is really, really special. How did your life change after that? Um, I mean, it was, well, the biggest thing is that I was considering retiring after 2017. So after 2016, like I said, I kind of always took it year by year. And so, um, I remember texting my coach about like a week before worlds and saying, 
um, I think I might be done after this. Um, you know, we'll see. And then after I won the 5k, I was like, well, I can't retire now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still clearly at the, at the top of my game and, and have a lot left to give. And so, um, that's kind of what inspired me to keep going. Would you say like working on your mindset and your mental game is the one thing that kind of gave you the big advantage over the others within those few years from 2012 to 2017, or was there anything else? I think it was definitely that, you know, I specifically think back to the 10k at 2019 world championships, which was the Olympic qualifier for the Tokyo Olympics. And, um, like I said, the top 10 qualify and, and coming around the last buoy with 800 meters to go, I was in 14th place. And, I know that like several years, several years ago, um, that race would have ended differently, but I was able, because of my mindset, I was able to, um, instead of panicking, I obviously didn't know I was in 14th, but I knew that there were probably 20 women in that pack and only 10 of us were going to make the Olympic team. And, um, instead of panicking, I was able to kind of remind myself of, of what I had been thinking in the weeks leading up to that, which again, is regardless of what happens, um, as long as I give it my all, I'm, I'm going to be proud of myself. And so that kind of took the pressure off and allowed me to just, um, race, which is, which is all I needed to do. And I ended up passing, um, a bunch of women and tied for, for six. And so I think, you know, the, that wasn't physical. It, it, that was all mental for me, for sure. I mean, we all know how these, this race ended and I'm like nervous listening to you, just imagining <laughs> how you're feeling in the water, like knowing what's on the line, like, do you feel the pressure? I mean, I think the one thing that kind of comes to my mind is most recently when Simone Biles kind of like, you know, stepped aside and was like talking about the pressure and the mindset, like, mm -hmm. what does that feel like? I cannot imagine a pressure more than representing your country, stepping out into the world stage with everybody watching. And this is everything you worked for. Like how I, my, you know, mindset to, get up and go to the gym for an hour and come home or whatever is different than everything you've ever worked for your entire life in front of the world. Like, how does that feel? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was really important to find that balance of acknowledging, um, how big of a moment it is, how special it is. Um, every time I put on the USA cap, regardless of the competition, um, acknowledging that and, and being really proud of it. And, um, allowing that to kind of fuel me to, um, give it my all and give it my best while at the same time, reminding myself that it's just another race and it is just swimming. And at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome, I have my family and my friends who are going to love me regardless of whether I get first or last. And I think being able to kind of balance those two mindsets and, um, utilize whichever one kind of, um, serves me better in the moment was really, really helpful. I remember points of that race where that thought would slip into my head of like, this is the Olympic qualifier. Like this is probably your last chance to, to make an Olympic team and kind of feeling that panicky feeling. And so when I would feel that kind of trying to, to shut that out and just reminding myself that to stay in the moment and it's just another race and to do everything I can in that moment to race as hard as I can. And finish as high as I can. I mean, that's at the end of the day, all, all I could do. Do you do any work with uh, breath or breathing and or meditation? Um, I have kind of dabbled in it. I never, I never um, did it like religiously. 
Um, I've done like the headspace app here and there, um, breath work. And just in terms of like, I do think, um, it's been helpful just before races to, especially when like those thoughts are all swirling to just kind of sit down and close your eyes and, and take some deep, deep breaths. I think that can do a whole lot just to kind of calm your whole system. Um, but I never, I never got too, too into it, but I, I think, um, there's a, there's a ton of value to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Now I'm wondering, do you, all you like Olympians kind of train together or is there like a, a group of you? How does that work? So for, for swimming, the national team is kind of spread out all over the country. Um, there are definitely like pockets where, um, a bunch of swimmers are training. Um, I kind of hopped around, like I said, I was out in California, um, with the Mission Viejo Natadors, which was a club team, but we did have several post-grads. Um, then I moved back to North Carolina and even in North Carolina, I was, I was on a bunch of different teams. Um, the most recent being the, the TAC Titans, which is a club team, but I was again, training with some post-grads. Um, I also actually swim with UNC college team as a post-grad for, um, ended up being like a year and a half. Oh, and you went um, to UNC, you went from Duke to mm, UNC. I did. So okay. I, I've some, I've some with both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and then, but we do a bunch of training camps. So I would, um, like I said, spend a lot of time out in Colorado and that would be with other swimmers. And, um, we'd also do camps in Chula Vista at the training center out there or in Florida. And so those are all really fun to be able to kind of come together as a national team and, and train at those. And then leading up to our competitions, we typically have two to three weeks of a, of a training camp leading up to any big competition. Okay. Now, Switching gears just a little bit. I remember in 2000, and I think it was eight, right? Uh, Michael Phelps went crazy. And um, I remember at that time, I was actually working at ESPN. I was doing the graphics for Sports Center, So I was behind mm-hmm. the scenes doing all the shows. And there was a special about Michael Phelps and what he ate. And it was just an absolute insane amount of calories. I think it was somewhere north of like 10,000 calories or something like that. And you do distance swimming. I am really, really interested to know when you are really training for a race, what are you eating? What does your diet and nutrition look like? Um, yeah, so I, I definitely don't think it's 10,000 calories, although I've never um, counted calories. Um, I really have just been working with USA Swimming has had a great nutritionist and a registered dietitian and working with her. Um, and really just trying to fuel my body as, as well as possible and kind of looking at, at food as, as fuel to help, um, what we do in training and competing. Um, I'm not picky, which is awesome. I can kind of eat anything and everything. So, um, and I don't have, like, I I don't have any, like, Oh, I have to have this for breakfast. I have to have this for lunch. I have to have this for dinner. Um, I kind of eat a little bit of everything and, and really just try to, um, like I said, fuel my body well, and, um, definitely indulge as well. I, I have a big sweet tooth and I knew that I know that if I didn't let myself eat any sweets, it would drive me crazy. And so it's so cliche, but everything in moderation. And, and again, just looking at food as fuel and, and getting the vegetables and fruits and, and protein and carbs in and, and trying to just have a really balanced, balanced diet. That was, that was what was most important for me and, and not really worrying too much about kind of the, the nitty gritty stuff. Now, what do you feel like, or what would you say your nutrition has kind of said, like, this is the best fuel for you? Was there a certain food or food groups that they really recommended? Um, I think the biggest thing was just the balance of, of carbs, protein, and, and fats. 
um, and making sure, especially leading up to something like a 10 K race, um, those ratios were, were correct. And, and kind of, especially but like for the Olympic race, for example, we started at 6am. And so, um, it means you're eating at 4am. So kind of just getting down whatever you can that will, that will fuel your body. Well, I think the biggest thing, um, for me and the biggest change I saw was when I was, um, better about getting something into my system post-workout, you know, there, there were several years where I, I knew that that was important, but I really didn't, didn't do it. And so I could definitely see a big difference when I, when I fueled immediately after workout in terms of recovery and, and being ready for the next workout. Well, I want to, I want to ask you a little more about that. Cause I really do want to know this. So did, did you have like a staple in your diet before like a big race? Like what were you eating the morning of the Olympics? Um, so luckily I, I really didn't. And I found that to be really helpful because especially when traveling internationally, like you, you never know what your options are going to be. And I feel really grateful that a, I'm not picky and, and B, I didn't have like a set. Oh, I have to have this. Um, there were things I would like to have if it was available, but if it, if it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. So, um, for me, like I would love to have oatmeal or toast and, um, scrambled eggs and some fruit, like that would be great for me. But if it's not available, I can kind of make do with, with whatever there is available. Um, in high school before, um, our, my swim meets, my dad would always make me a power breakfast, which was basically toast and eggs and orange juice. And so I think a big part of me, like liking that was just, you know, the nostalgia. And I felt like it, it fueled me well. You kind of get a little bit of everything, the fats, the carbs, the protein. Um, so that would be ideal, but like I said, that wasn't necessarily an option. Um, in Tokyo, I think in Tokyo I had, um, I think I had oatmeal with peanut butter. Um, and then like a, a lot of, lot of fluids with how hot it was. Is that how you re refuel to same foods or is refueling different? Um, pretty similar for me. Yeah. I mean, it can, it can range whether it's a, a protein bar or a protein shake, um, a chocolate milk. Like I said, I'm, I'm really not picky. So anything that's available, um, just to get something into my body to start to help my muscles recover. Do you know how many people are listening to this? They're like, God damn, that girl can eat whatever she wants. And looks so skinny. <laughs> <laughs> I know people I don't are know about now anymore. Damn her. Well, now you got to eat for two, right? How's your diet changed yeah, I know. now? Has your diet changed much now that you're going to be a mother? Um, it hasn't much. Um, the first trimester, nothing really sounded too great. It was mainly like really bland car carbs that were appealing. Um, but since then I, I really haven't had like many aversions or cravings. It's really been, um, what I typically eat. I mean, there'll be nights where I'm like, Oh, I like really want a burger, but I don't think that's a pregnancy craving. Like I, before I was pregnant, there would be nights where I'd be like, Oh, I really want sushi or whatever it is. Um, I do miss sushi a lot. Um, there's some things I miss, but for the most part, no, my diet's pretty much um, stayed, stayed really similar. So when you're pregnant, you can't eat sushi. Is that cause like mercury in the fish? Is that what it is? I think it's just the, the risk of the raw fish. And actually like a lot of doctors do say that if you're, you know, if you're going to a, a nice place that is going to have, um, you know, sushi grade fish, you're probably fine, but I figure I can live without it for nine months and, and not risk anything. Now I'm going to ask you a question because you live in the area. What is your favorite sushi place around here? 
We go to Sushi Iwa a lot just because it's really close. Um, we used to go to Sushi Blues in Raleigh. I do love cowfish too because I love the, you know, you can get the burger and the sushi, which is good. Um, but we just do Sushi Iwa because it's so convenient. What about uh, wasabi? I think wasabi is in Apex too, right? Have you ever been there? I haven't tried that one. The great thing about this area, there's a lot of BOGO sushi, which mm -hmm. you can't be at other cities around the country. I haven't found that. So when you come here, you get a lot of BOGO sushi. And I whenever my, yeah, whenever my friends come from like Boston or New York City, they're like, you can get a pile and gallon sushi here. Cause it's like not a thing other places. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I did yeah. not realize, yeah, I'm getting married here in September. And I know we're looking at kids, oh, you know, a year, a year or two down the road or whatever. And I did not realize we have sushi date nights all the time. I did not realize that's going to be put on hold or I'm just going solo for a while, but, uh, whoops. I'm yeah, sorry. we get it. And I'll just get like the, like cucumber roll or the avocado roll, or, okay, but everyone's different. Sense. Some people are fine eating it. So that makes sense. personal preference. Okay. So back, back to the Olympics, I'm really genuinely curious about your experience going to Tokyo. It was obviously really weird because the whole pandemic situation First and foremost, it was delayed for a year. How did that even affect you? Yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely tough. Um, so I was out in Colorado when kind of everything started shutting down. So really, when the NBA announced that they were suspending their season, it was kind of like written in the cards that the Olympics would probably be postponed. And um, we were out there for a training camp and, and all got sent home after about 10 days and that's also kind of coincided with, with when everything got shut down in the pools and all of that. So, um, you know, when they, when they didn't make the decision, it was, it was kind of a relief to a, just have a decision be made. And, um, of course it was the decision that needed to be made at that time. Um, but it was still difficult. Like, you know, we were ready to start a family after the Olympics and, um, my training had been going really well and, and I had qualified in, August of, or July of 2019. So, um, you know, I'd already been training and, and kind of ramping up for the games for seven or eight months. And so was feeling really ready and excited to, to head to Tokyo in just a few short months. So, um, a year honestly sounded like a really long time to, to kind of, um, put myself back into that, that grind and, and, and training mindset. Um, but again, like I said, I've, I've tried to do my whole career. I really just tried to take it day by day. And, um, for me, you know, I went out to California starting in, in January of 2021, just for kind of a change of pace and, and to train outside some and, and train with different people. That was, that was really helpful for me to just kind of switch things up and, um, keep things from getting monotonous since it had been definitely a long two years with, without really much competing or anything. So when you finally get to go to Tokyo, like, what's that like? Um, you hop on the plane, you're on the Team USA plane, I assume. Are you with a bunch of other Olympians? Like, what happens when you arrive? Yeah, so we actually had a, um, the whole um, USA Swimming Olympic team had a training camp together in Hawaii, um, on Oahu. So we were there for two weeks, um, which was really fun. And it was, it was nice to kind of just have a little bit of a sense of normalcy again. And um, you know, we were, we were really careful, like, you know, we weren't going out to eat or anything like that, but, um, just to all be together and, and training together and, um, you know, having game nights together and, and things like that was, was really fun. And then, you know, all of us headed to Tokyo together and, um, 
of course there were a lot of protocols once we got there, but, um, Japan did an absolutely amazing job, um, handling it and, and putting on the, the best Olympics they could. Um, so while it was different, it was still, it was unique and, and it was still really special. So what was that timeline and the process like to get to Tokyo? Did you have to like have like a negative test before you hopped on the plane? And once you hopped on the plane, you had to like go right into quarantine or something? How'd that work? Yeah. So we had, I think it was two negative tests. So I think it was like three days before and the day before we had to test negative. Um, we had a chartered plane, which was really nice. So we didn't have to worry about, you know, getting it on the plane or anything like that. And then once we got to Tokyo, um, before leaving the airport, we had to be tested and have a negative test. And then once um, being there, we tested, we did a um, saliva sample every single day. How many days in was your race after you got there? So we got to, um, like I said, the whole um, USA swimming team, the pool and open water team all went over together. And um, all of us were at a hotel in the beginning. Um, And then the pool competition started earlier than open water competition. So I think it was four or five days after being at the hotel, the pool team left and moved into the village and myself and the two other open water athletes, um, Haley and Jordan, we stayed in the hotel for, I think it was about another week um, before we were able to move into the village. And then once we moved into the village, we had, I believe it was five days until our race. So we were in Japan for, for quite a while. Hmm. Like, were you allowed to do much physical activity that whole time when you're just kind of hanging around waiting? Um, so the, the really nice part was that, um, the USA had a, what's called a high performance center. And so that had, um, a 50 meter pool, an amazing weight room. We had a dining hall where they actually brought the chefs from the, um, us Olympic and Paralympic training center over to Tokyo. So it was food that was, um, like really familiar to us. And so we would do all of our training there. We would, um, leave the hotel, go to the high performance center, do our training. We could get massages done. We could eat, we could hang out, come back to the hotel, have some downtime. If we had a double, we'd go back again. Um, so that was an amazing setup and, and really, really seamless. And then, um, once we moved into the village, uh, we were training kind of at the, um, either at the Olympic pool or we'd go to the open water venue to train, but there was no, there was no like sightseeing or going to restaurants or anything like that. It was, you were either in your hotel or at the training center or in the village. I was wondering that for, you know, personally, I'm just saying you're watching TV. I'm like, oh man, it kind of sucks for these Olympians to make this Olympics. It's so different than all the other ones. Did any part of you feel like this is a, this is kind of a bummer. I worked my whole life. Or are you just like, no, I am here to win. I'm here to dominate. I'm not even worried about the other stuff. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was not having my family be able to be there. Um, I think, you know, they've been such a huge part of my entire career, both for, um, the lows and the highs. And so not being able to experience that with them, I think was the, the most difficult part, difficult part. But at the end of the day, I was just grateful they were having Olympics and and that I was going to be able to go because for a while that was, that was up in the air as well. And again, yeah, it looked differently and, and we couldn't do any of the sightseeing. We couldn't go to opening or closing ceremonies, but, um, you know, bringing it back to mindset again, really just trying to be grateful for what we did have and, and being able to be there and kind of embracing everything that we could. And were you allowed to have any interaction whatsoever with any, anybody from any other country? Um, I mean, we would like, if we were at the the venues and the, um, you know, at the high performance center, it was just us athletes, but 
um, once we got to the, the open water venue and, and things like that, we could, um, yeah, have some interactions, but again, people were just trying to be as careful as possible because the last thing you wanted to do is, was have a positive test and, and kind of have to go down that road. Now, one question I've always wondered is a high performance athlete before, like one of the biggest nights of their, the days of their, their life, the night before, what are you thinking? How do you even sleep? I would be up all night, try to visualize, mentally figure out what I'm going to do. I wonder how people even sleep. Like I'm thinking of like golfers with like the masters and they, they know they have the lead going into the final round. Like, how do you even focus and sleep? Tell me about that. I mean, a lot of times I, I don't really sleep well. And I think, um, that used to really stress me out. Like, and I would just be thinking like, okay, now I have six hours left to sleep. Now I have five hours left to sleep. Like, I'm not going to get any sleep. How am I going to race? And I think, um, just kind of coming to terms with the fact that I might not sleep and, um, kind of taking away the the stress of being worried about that and, and kind of, um, realizing that what's going to be is what, what's going to be. And so before a lot of my big races, I, I really don't sleep well, but, um, just kind of accepting that and, and knowing that, that that's going to be the case and, and really trying not to let it, um, affect me, affect me too much. And, and just really trying to control everything that is in my control. Um, and kind of just trying to forget about, forget about the rest. So the night before the race, you know, I was, um, with my teammate Haley, she was doing 10 K as well. And so we just, um, spent the night making our feeds for the, for the race the next day and, um, you know, watching TV and just kind of trying to, to be as chill as possible. And like I said, we had a really early wake up. I think we, our alarms were set for like three or three fifteen. So, um, just tried to get in bed and even though I didn't sleep well, just kind of rest and relax as much as possible. Do you know anybody on your team that slept well? Like they could just be like, eh, I'm out. I think some people do. Yeah. I think some people can kind of sleep wherever, whenever, and it doesn't quite affect as much. Um, especially when I'm traveling, I I just, I'm not quite that lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah. So take me to the day of the Olympics, what's going on in your mind right then and there. And, uh, I believe what you placed seventh, correct. Which Mm -hmm. is still freaking amazing. And, uh, yeah. So take me through that day. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was a really early morning and, um, you know, I think we got to the venue at like four 30 and I, our race started at six and for an open water race, there's a lot to do. You know, you have to, you have to get your suit on, you have to get numbered, you have to get, um, everything checked by the officials, like your, your suit, your cap, your goggles. Um, you have to make sure your feeds are all set. You have to get Vaseline on. And so luckily, like there wasn't much time to really sit and think that's kind of, you're kind of one second. Okay, you, you wear yeah. Vaseline. Tell me about that. I had swimmers will all wear Vaseline. Just open water. Okay. Um, just because of the, like the rubbing, especially in salt water. Oh, okay. Um, so just like in the spots where like your suit would rub. So like shoulder Makes straps, sense. like under the armpit. <laughs> um, yeah. So either like Vaseline, lanolin, everyone has different preferences, but, um, and so there were really isn't much time to think. It's just kind of getting things done that you need to get done. Um, I texted with my family briefly who was all they were all watching together back um in North Carolina and then it was kind of go time so there really wasn't much time to think um the morning of which you know was kind of nice actually did they have a watch party and everything they did yeah at our house so all my family my husband's family some friends so I knew they were all watching together which was you know since they couldn't be there it's the next best thing 
So what time of day was it in Tokyo when you raced and what time is it over here on the East Coast? Um, it was 6 a.m. there. So I think it was 5 p.m. here. Okay. So wow. hour difference. I, I yeah. can only imagine how nervous your family was for you that day. They were. And I remember I texted them, I think either the night before or the morning of, and I said something along the lines of like, I'm just going to have fun. So I want you to, to like, don't be nervous. Like it is what it is. It's a really cool experience. And again, like I had kind of said in, in other big races, like whatever the outcome, I, I want it to be, um, you know, something I look back on fondly and, and that I'm proud of. Did they record the watch party? And if so, have you had a chance to, to look at any of their reactions? I'm sure they did. And I'm sure the race was recorded as well. I, I haven't actually watched it. Um, it would be something I'd be interested in, in watching down the line. I, I led for a lot of the race. And I remember vividly thinking like, well, regardless of how it ends, at least they're getting to, at least they're getting to see me a lot. Like I was on, I was on camera a lot. So that was definitely, um, a, a plus. And how long are you in the water? How long is this race? The 10 K is, is right around two hours. Um, oh, so it definitely differs on, you know, currents or how choppy it is, all that, but it's for the women, it's right around two hours for the men. It's usually like an hour and 50 minutes. That is so brutal. It's, a, it's long. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how has your life changed since you made the Olympic team? Um, I mean, to be honest, not much. And I think, um, you know, I always thought like, Oh, if I, you know, I would look at people who had, who had made the Olympics or, or were Olympians and, and kind of envy that. And, um, while I'm so proud of it, um, and, you know, proud of what I persevered through to get, to get to this point. Um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still the exact same person. And, um, whether I had made the team or not, I, I know that I worked really hard every single day and gave it everything I had. And, um, like I said earlier, I mean, of course I would have been disappointed, but, um, I don't, I don't think that just because I made it and, you know, an Olympic team or became an Olympian, I don't think that necessarily defines my career. I, I much prefer to think it's so cliche, but like the, my entire journey and, and career. And, um, even if I hadn't made an Olympic team, um, you know, I know a bunch of swimmers who, who haven't made an Olympic team who are just as inspiring to me as, as the ones, or maybe even more so than the ones who have. Um, so yeah, it's really special. And, and I have the, the Olympic rings tattoo, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think it defines me. And, um, I would be just as proud of my career if I, if I hadn't made the team. Now, I don't want to assume anything. Are you, are you done with competitive swimming? I haven't, I ha- actually haven't decided. I, I thought for sure I would be. Um, and then I've always really loved a challenge. So I'm kind of like, I kind of want to see what I could do after. And again, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to take it day by day. Um, it is a short turnaround with it, with it being a, a shorter quad and with the Olympic qualification for open water being earlier, but, um, I do really love a challenge and, and something new. And, um, this would, this would definitely be that. So, so we'll see. May I'm I recommend sure the, the TB 12 Tom Brady method? I hear that works pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how would, you know, having, having a child play into this, if it plays into it at all? Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, it'll just, um, and it's something I've always strived to remember is the importance of balance. And, um, I was actually just talking to a triathlete who, 
um, in this area who's also pregnant. And she was talking about um, some of her teammates and competitors who have, who have had children and um, who have gone on to continue to compete after having kids. And um, a lot of them get even better and even faster. And, and a lot of them attribute that to um, just having a different perspective and, and not having their sport kind of be their entire world. There's something else too. And um, that in a lot of ways can, can relieve a lot of that pressure and um, in turn kind of free you up to, to perform even better. Yeah. I was curious to know, like after the Olympics, if you were just kind of ready to walk away and just, you know, you hear some athletes like after the biggest moments, like they just they hang it up. They have no desire to get back into the pool or, or whatever, but it sounds like you still have a passion for it. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I, I really didn't know how I would feel. And, and the, the, you know, the last year leading up to the games with the postponement, um, especially, you know, from like the last like several months, I, I was ready to get to the Olympics and be done. Um, and, you know, after having finished, I didn't know if I would be back in the pool, but honestly, I've been back in the pool four to five days a week, um, even throughout my entire pregnancy and, and really am loving it and kind of, um, have a newfound joy. And, and so, yeah, I'm excited to see what could possibly be. Um, I don't want to put any limitations on myself, but, um, I'm, I'm excited to see the possibilities. You sound like you'd be a dangerous swimmer in 2024. <laughs> we will see. Yeah. You have a new fan it, here. I'm rooting for you. That would be amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Abs- absolutely. So looking back on your career from now, it's not over. Hopefully, maybe we'll see. Looking back, what is the race that kind of means most to you that stands out to you? Um, I think there are two. So um, the first would be 2016 Open Water Nationals. So um, the Olympic spot was already taken. So Haley had qualified in 2015 um, and our 2016 nationals were in Florida and a lot of international swimmers ended up coming and the race like didn't necessarily mean much because it wasn't a qualifier for anything. Um, but it was a really stacked field, a really competitive field. And um, I ended up winning that race and I, I had led a lot of it got passed and then ended up passing people to, to, to win. And I'm just proud of that race because I, you know, like I said, it, it would have been easy to not find much motivation. I knew I wasn't going to the Olympics just a few months later. Um, and I really pushed myself and, um, just kind of made it about showing the best I could, I could be regardless of what the, you know, that it didn't really mean a whole lot at the end of the day. Um, so that race I was really proud of. And then, 2019 worlds as well. When I qualified for the games, like I said, coming around that last turn, um, I know that just a few years prior, the outcome would have been a lot different, not because of where I was physically, but because of where I was mentally. And so to be, um, that mentally strong in such a pressure filled race, um, that's something I'm, I'm really, really proud of. Now we'll wrap this up here shortly, but I have a few more questions, uh, just to get to know you a little better. So being an athlete growing up, who was your biggest inspiration? Um, I, I, I mean, I, and I get asked that a lot. I, I don't really remember like any specific like swimmers or athletes. Um, my siblings, I loved, you know, watching them do sports and, um, they all swam only, only one of them swam through college. 
Um, the others chose different sports to pursue, but, um, like I said, they were the reason I got into swimming in the first place. And so, um, just watching them have fun with it and, and race, uh, that was, that was huge for me. And after traveling the world, which clearly you have, you've named some amazing places that I've never seen, hopefully I will at some point, if you had to go back to one country or one city that was just stunning or beautiful, which one would it be? So I, from, I think I've been to South Africa seven times now. I, I used to do a race there every February. Um, it was called the Midmar Mile. I haven't been now since 2018 because 2019 was tough being the Olympic qualifier year 2020 obviously didn't happen. Um, and then last year didn't either because of COVID, but, um, starting in 2012, I had from 2012 to 2018, I did that race every year and the race is amazing. It's called the Midmar mile. Um, I love the, an open water mile. It's like my favorite distance. Um, it's a ton of people, all different ages, all different abilities. They have different waves. So there's an elite, um, wave, which I do, but there's, um, I'll do some of the other races as well for fun. And just the people there are amazing. I have made so many friends there now. The food is phenomenal. Um, it's an absolutely stunning country. And so every year I just, I typically do that, which is in a place called Peter Maritzburg in, in South Africa. And then one year I did that race. And then we went to Stellenbosch, which is like 30 minutes outside of Cape town and did another race there. And Stellenbosch I think is my favorite place I've ever been to it's just like the most quaint like Dutch town it's we rode our bikes everywhere there's vineyards everywhere we trained outside of the university pool it was it was amazing so I've been there a bunch but I would I would go back there in a heartbeat now you said South Africa and you are an, also an open water swimmer the first thing that came to my mind is South Africa is known for the sharks and the great whites is that ever crossed your mind getting into the water there <laughs> So the race I do, um, the Midmore mile and actually the, the other one I did as well, they're in dams. So there's no, there's no sharks. Um, I have, I do do a race in Hawaii. It's a, a channel swim. It's a relay. Um, and each year, I think I've done that three times and each year, like different boats, different teams during their relay, like we'll say like, Oh, there's a shark below us. And that does spook me a bit, but I just try not to think about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah. That would uh, make me swim a little faster. Does that make you actually yeah. go faster? Yeah. If I think about it, I definitely, um, I can get in my head, but I mean, a lot of open water swimmers, like the, a lot of the channel swimmers, like they want to see a shark. They think it's really cool and they don't, they, they'll stay below you and they're like, they don't want to bother you, but I would prefer not to. Yeah. No, thank you. Jesus. Okay. So you said yeah. South, South Africa had amazing food. Do they have the best food you've ever experienced? Um, it is really good. Um, but I, I mean, like, I'm not the, the thing about competition. So most of the competitions we go to, especially when I'm with the national team, um, and that one's not with the national team. That's kind of like on my own. Um, the race director invites me out, but the races we go to or competitions with the national team, we're really not like exploring food in the country that much. We're just eating like our meals in the hotel that's prepared for us. Um, so in terms of that, like I haven't eaten like authentic food from, from too many countries. So yeah, I guess it's like the most I've experienced was, has been there and it's, it's all been really good. 
Okay. And with the Winter Olympics just wrapping up here, is there any event that you watched and you're like, I can probably do that? No, every every Winter Olympic event I watch, I'm like, I do not know how they do that. I think it's so fascinating. I love watching um, all of it. I think the snowboarding and skiing is so cool. Um, the figure skating is awesome. The I think I relate best to the cross-country skiing. I think it... Um, just to kind of the endurance of it uh, reminds me a lot of open water swimming. Um, and just like they're like, they always just look so gassed at the end of their races. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love watching it. It's just, it's just such a different world from what I'm used to. And so um, it's, it's really fun to watch the hockey, the curling, we, we kind of watch it all. So it's fun. Now, besides competitions, is there any goals that you would love to have to say, I swam this or I swam that. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is like the English channel. Like, do you have any like crazy goals to achieve? Um, not really. I don't, I don't love cold water. So, um, I don't really have a desire to do like the English channel. Um, there is a really open water race in Lake Tahoe that I've heard is beautiful. So, um, that I would like to do. Um, I did compete in a 25k at world championship. So I kind of checked that one off the bucket list. That was the longest race I'll ever do for sure. Um, that took like five and a half hours. So oh that I won't be doing, I won't be doing anything quite that long again. And random question. If you were to have escaped Alcatraz, could you make it to San Francisco? <laughs> I don't, like I said, I don't like cold water, so I don't know how well I would have fared. I think if my life was on the line, maybe. Um, I do do the Tiburon Mile that's out there each year, and um, I do love that race. Again, it's only a mile, so I can I can bear the cold for that long. But there are sharks there, too, which just trying to think about. A mile. How long does that take you? It's usually, like, right around 16 minutes. That's it? <laughs> Yeah. So, and wow. that, that race is really fun because the men and women are combined, which, um, which is really fun and different. Well, I'll tell you what, Ashley, this has been a blast for me. I love getting inside the mind of an Olympian. This is wonderful. And deep down inside, I'm rooting for you to go for 2024. So I can be like, yes, I know her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I'll keep you updated on, on the plans. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. Honestly, thank you so much for spending time with me tonight. Um, I'm sure people love listening to your story and everything that went behind it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it met expectations as far as like how much work you put in and how it really is your full-time job for year after year after year. And uh, I loved how you talked about mindset and how important just being mentally strong is to give you that Mm -hmm. edge over everyone else. I mean, has it sunk in yet that you are the top of the top of the top tier swimmer of like everybody in the entire world? Does that sink in? Not really. And and I, I've talked about it before, like, um, to, you know, my husband that like, for, you know, since I've been on the national team now since 2012. So for nine years. And so I'm, I've always been surrounded by all Olympians. And so, um, in some ways it, it kind of like, it doesn't seem that special if you don't take a step back and look at it, um, kind of like from an outsider's perspective. And, And when I hadn't made the Olympics, when I was an Olympian, it was kind of like, well, everyone around me is an Olympian and I'm not. And it's like, okay, well, you need to, I like, it's important to take a step back and realize that that's not really reality. Um, it's just kind of like the little, the little bubble I live in. And so, 
I think it, it has been good for me to kind of um, be removed a little bit and be able to, to have a little bit of a better perspective on that. Final question. Do you still wear your Team USA swag around and have you put that swimsuit back on? Um, have not put the swimsuit back on. Definitely would not fit right now. Um, <laughs> I have a few pieces I wear. Um, we got so much stuff um, from the games. A lot of it um, is just in storage. I just want to like keep. Um, I don't wear a whole lot of it around, but I, I do have a few pieces that I really like that I'll, that I'll wear. Okay. And for anybody listening to this who has a kid, or maybe there are a kid listening to this thinking like one day I want to be in the Olympics or one day, you know, my kid has a desire to be in the Olympics. Is there any like final words of advice that you would give them? I mean, I think the biggest thing is to just to have fun and to, to have goals um, and to, to work your hardest towards them, but to realize that if you fall, like, I don't, I don't necessarily love that, that saying of like, you can do anything you put your mind to, because sometimes you, you work as hard as you possibly can and you still fall short and like, that's okay. And that happens. And I think at the end of the day, um, being proud of, of giving it your all, even, even knowing that, that quote unquote failure or not reaching your goal, um, is possible and, and is, is a likelihood. I think that's, that's really hard to do to put yourself out there knowing that you may fall short. And so I think um, if you're able to do that, regardless of the outcome, I think you'll be really, really proud of yourself. It, you know, you'll be disappointed for a while, but um, I know even for me, like further down the, further down the line, um, you'll be able to look back and, and be really proud of yourself for, for giving it your all when you know that you may not succeed. I think that's, that's really special. Love it. Absolutely love it. So Ashley, I know you've earned some new fans tonight too. Where can these fans follow you? Um, Instagram, I am atwall616 and that's really where I'm most active. Um, I'm on Twitter too, but not too active on there. Have not jumped on the TikTok bag bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, so. I feel like, yeah, like I never got on a TikTok. Maybe one day I'll, I'll do that, but uh yeah. Yeah. too much there's too much now there is a little too much i can't uh, yeah. i can't deal with all of it but um yeah. yeah ashley it's been a pleasure thank you so much once again for joining me and spending your time with me tonight uh, i really really do appreciate that and um yeah i'll tell you what if you ever uh, find a really good new sushi place in the area you better let me know yeah will do thank you so much perfect thanks ashley for joining me. yep bye Thank you so much again to badass and Olympian Ashley Twitchell. That was awesome. I'm so happy she sat down and took the time with me to explain her journey and what it took and all the hard work behind the scenes to becoming an Olympian. Best of luck to you and your family and your child due in May that is very excited and selfishly I am hoping we all get to see you in 2024 on the big stage again. Now don't forget if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode please leave a rating, a review, share with your friends, share with your family. It helps get these great podcasts out to so many more people. I greatly appreciate it, and I will catch you next time on the Pursuit of Happiness podcast.